Morning guys. Um, I thought I was going to talk about something else today, but I just got a great comment on the post from yesterday pertaining to yesterday's podcast. Uh, and I wanted to follow up with it because I think it's such a great framework for seeing this whole construct of how to price your work. Uh, comment was from this guy, I'm going to butcher his name, Mikkel, uh, I assume from Sweden, uh, or maybe somewhere else. Uh, I apologize if you hear this. Um, basically, he, he was making the point, or one of the points he made was that uh, a lot depends on whether it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. And I think he was thinking more broadly of right now being a buyer's market because there is more on offer than there is demand. But I love this framework when applied to ourselves rather than to the larger space. Although I think both are, are actually really appropriate to be thinking about. So, but I'll circle back around to that one. So what I got excited about was thinking of whether you have created a microclimate for yourself that is a buyer's or a seller's market. When you're just starting out and you don't have much of an audience and you don't have uh, a wait list or demand for what you are doing, that is a buyer's market. The people who might be interested in buying from you have more leverage than you do because you really want to sell. As you go along, you can create a seller's market for yourself by building a reputation, by building demand, whether that's in the form of a wait list or just in people hungering for your work. And by creating a seller's market, you then give yourself the ability to ask for a higher price. But the higher price is not inherent to the item you're selling. That's my biggest point. It doesn't matter what you think it is. What matters is what somebody else thinks it's worth and if that matches what you're asking for it. Or if that matches a price that you'd be willing to come down to. I personally hate haggling and we don't live in a culture where you haggle about things like wooden spoons, but essentially when you're in a slow motion haggle with the world where you try a price and it either works or doesn't work and you decide to raise or lower it. So the thing I love about this framework is it makes it super clear that whether you're in a buyer's or seller's market, whether you are in a position where you are in a strong position or a weak position as the seller, depends entirely upon what you have created as a seller. And if you aren't there yet, it's somewhere you can get to. One of the ways you can put yourself into a position where you have more leverage 
is to sell your work for less to create more demand. That demand then gives you leverage to charge more later on. But people get it backwards and they want to charge more out of the gate thinking that the psychology is going to win them over. Psychology is not going to win somebody over nearly as well as simply having the irrefutable leverage of I have more demand than I can handle. You can either take this price or leave it. Some people will take it, some people will leave it. But you have... uh, It doesn't matter to you either way because you have more demand coming in than you have time to handle it. That's the situation I've created for myself at this point. I have more things that I could be doing with my time to earn money than I have time. And so I can be smart about how I spend my time. I can decide to raise my prices. If I raise my prices, sometimes I raise my prices on certain things because I'm figuring out where the sweet spot on the price is. Sometimes I don't raise my prices because I feel philosophically like I shouldn't. Sometimes I do raise my prices because I want to make people pay more for something so that they stop asking me to do it as much. I've done all these things. But the point is I can do all these things because I've created a seller's market for myself where I'm doing what I'm doing and because I've made moves that have put me in this position, I can take or leave people deciding that it's for them. The thing about social media is you, you almost never hear from the people that it's not for whom your price is, is a sticking point. They just don't get in touch. So... I think we fool ourselves into thinking that that it's not the price, that it's the wrong time, that it's, you know, we didn't reach enough people. But everything sells at a certain price. Everything finds a person who's willing to buy it at a price. Might not be the price you want, but that is just a truth. So the question is, how are you using that truth to set yourself up in the future, not just for the right now? I heard a fantastic uh, interview with the founder of Kickstarter, Yancey Strickler. He's one of the three co-founders. And he has come up with this philosophy of life called bentoism where you think about things in four boxes. You think about any decision, you run it through the rubric of, is this a good decision for me right now? Is this a good decision for me in the future? Is this a good decision for us as a community, however you choose to define that, right now? And is this a good decision for us as a community in the future? The answers to each of these four questions might be different But by running it through this rubric, you can get a sense of where the balance lies and what should perhaps be weighted more than others at different points. And I think 
when it comes to price, people are forgetting to think about what is the right move for me in the future. What is the right move right now for the me, for the future me? And instead, they get fixated on what is the right move for me right now and lose sight of the fact or don't think about the fact that the, the thing that is in my best self-interest right now might not be in my ultimate best self-interest. Let me circle back around to the original point of a buyer's or seller's market as a larger environment. Because up till now, I've been talking about a buyer's or seller's market that you create for yourself as a microclimate around yourself. To some extent, the larger market is going to be a buyer's market or a seller's market. You're either going to be in a situation where there is a lot of demand and you're one of the few people providing it, a seller's market, or a lot of stuff and few people wanting it, a buyer's market. Now, you can buffer yourself somewhat from these outside environments by creating your own microclimate, right? So people who have strong demand, even when demand decreases overall in the broader economy, broader ecosystem, you still have more demand than you otherwise would. So... It's always a good idea to be thinking about it in terms of what can I do to improve my microclimate. But it's also worth considering whether you're in a buyer's market or seller's market and maybe making some choices that reflect that. One of the things I've counseled several people to do, and I've yet to see any of them do it, is to actually lower their prices. It does you no good to lower your prices, though, unless you're going to talk about why you're lowering your prices. But I think there's a real move to be made by somebody who's saying to themselves, you know what? I don't have any other job opportunities right now. Uh, I can make a bunch of stuff, but I'm having a hard time selling it. I wonder if I just, if I lowered my prices and accepted a little bit less, maybe I'd make more in the aggregate. That person could lower their prices and talk a lot about how in this time when people have restricted means I lowered my prices to reflect that fact and I think that would really strike home I think that kind of um awareness of the zeitgeist of the moment is important. And I think keeping your prices high in this moment and asking people to support you is a bit tone deaf because it's putting your own self-interest above that of your communities. You might not see it that way, but Trust me, it is. And by asking for less money than you had been, and by talking about it, you can talk, you can frame that as... Oh, hold on, we got... 
vehicle coming. Stand by. Dogs, come here. Maisie, come. Come here. Willa, come here. Come here. Sit. Hey. Maisie, come here. Come here. Right here. Right here. Good girl, sit. Thank you. Come on, dogs. So by deciding to lower your prices, and talking about it by framing it in that way, you can then say, look, we're a community. I recognize that as a world right now, we need to be spending our money on other things. So I've lowered my prices so that you can do both. So that we can do both. And I think that message would resonate really well right now. So whether you're in a buyer's or seller's market, there's always a move to be made. If you're in a, a buyer's market where fewer people are looking for your stuff and there's a lot of people selling, one of the most important things is to make sure that you stand out from your peers. We could call them your competition. It's funny, this is another podcast episode, so I'm not going to go into it right now, but uh, in greater detail, but you both need to run your own race and also be aware of what your competition is doing and make decisions based on what they're doing. But here's where I think it's different than how people often play it. I think people set out to do, to find out what their competition is doing so that they can match it. And I think that's the wrong move. I think people either match it because they think their competition is doing really well. And I can tell you that in many, many cases, their competition is not doing well. They present themselves as doing well, but following their recipe is not necessarily a recipe for success even if you have the exact same circumstances, which you do not. I think people also follow the competition, try to match what the competition is doing because they worry about how it will look if they come across as undercutting somebody. And I think this is where it's important to remind yourself that we're all running our own races. And what somebody does over here has almost nothing to do with what I do over here. Except insofar as we can inspire each other to be better members of our community. So I look at what my competition is doing and I ask myself, what can I do differently from what they're all doing right now? everybody's running in one direction, it makes me want to run in the opposite direction. Not because there's something wrong with the direction that they're running in, but because 
the opportunity is greater over here where it's just me. When I was a kid, I went uh, on a whale watching boat ride out of Cape Cod. And at some point, we were out there in the bay. I was feeling a little seasick, so I didn't want to be around other people. And at one point, the captain says, there's a whale off the starboard. And everybody rushed over to the starboard side. I sort of wandered over to the port side to be by myself because I was feeling seasick. And everyone was looking at this whale way off in the distance. And as I was standing there on the port side, a whale very quietly surfaced right next to the boat. And I didn't say anything. I kept it to myself. My own private whale. My point of this story is that just because you see everybody running in one direction doesn't mean that that's the smart move to make. Sometimes the smart move to make is to explore all the places that people are not going to. And so when you are in a buyer's market and you start seeing everybody trying to sell in the same ways, if you go where everyone else is going, the people who have the advantage already will have the advantage. And if that isn't you, then you're in trouble, or at very least there's no advantage to you being there. If you feel like you are already on top in this situation, by all means, go where everyone is going and just do it more, do it better, do it, have it, do it with more awareness, and you'll probably still win. But I'm talking to the people who are not in that position at this point. If you feel like someone who's got two, three, four times as many followers as you is going to come into a space and do the same thing as you're doing, then go somewhere else and do something else. And does that mean that if it works, somebody might come and do the same thing as you and then you'll have to move again? Sure. But in the meantime, you'll have grown. And at a certain point, you will have reached a demand that surpasses your ability to meet it. And at that point, it doesn't matter what people who are bigger players than you do because you have more demand than you have capacity to meet. And at that point, you can stop reacting to what they're doing and just do what you want to do. And as long as you're thoughtful about it and that demand doesn't diminish, but maybe continues to grow, and as long as you don't increase your capacity, this is where people get stuck, right? They then increase their capacity by hiring someone or buying some expensive equipment that they then have a loan on that they need to repay. Well, now you've just put yourself back into that situation, but with higher stakes, where all of a sudden you need to earn more money to be able to pay that person and maybe you get a marginal return on that person's efforts but it doesn't put you in any more of a resilient spot than when you had 
more demand than just you by yourself could fill. Instead, it puts you back into that situation where you need to be uh, reacting to what other players are doing because you need to continue to find the angle that will allow you to to grow. I think I've talked long enough, but I really like this framework. And we had some fantastic discussions yesterday. If you guys have thoughts about today, I really welcome them. Go read all the comments from yesterday as well. Chip in your two cents or five cents or long paragraphs, whatever you feel moved to do. It's wonderful to have a conversation. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk tomorrow.